0: Welcome to Top of Mind, the show where real estate industry insiders talk shop about the big trends shaping the
1: market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. So this is where we are talking to the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in real estate industry. You know, at Altos Research... We spend so much of our time talking about the data we track every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, all the supply and demand, and all the changes in that data, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. What we're doing with the podcast series, Top of Mind, is we are talking to the, the, the practitioners, the people who are in the industry, who can provide some context around that, some insights that we don't necessarily see in the data already. So welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. And without further ado, here are my guests for today. Becky Babcock and Brad Nix from Path & Post Real Estate in Atlanta. Path & Post is a highly successful team brokerage in North Atlanta. It was co-founded by Becky and Brad. Becky began her career as a solo agent right after college and then evolved into award-winning team leader and eventual CEO of Path & Post. She's also the author of How to Sell Houses Without Selling Your Soul. And I've not read the book, Becky, so I'm going to uh, grab it and read it right away. Brad co-founded Path & Post with Becky and is the chief operating officer. Together, Becky and Brad have led Path & Post to become the top rated real estate Team brokerage in North Atlanta, both in terms of sales and in five-star reviews. Their team also ranks among the top teams in Georgia and the U.S. These two are absolute superstars and innovators when it comes to developing a high-performance, top-producing team. They, They do really amazing things with technology and innovation, and I'm thrilled to get their take on things as we start the new year. So, Becky and Brad, welcome!
2: Wow, what an intro! <laughs> Thanks for having us.
1: <laughs> it's great to have you both here. And, I, and I'm, you know, what we're like I said, what we're doing with these these podcasts is we're we're talking to people to get the context behind the the numbers. And so I am really interested today to talk about path and post, what you're building, how you've accomplished what you have. How you're talking to clients and you know buyers and sellers today. I'm interested in Atlanta because Atlanta's one of the the growth places in the country. so so let's let's dive in. First, why don't you tell me, Becky, about path and post and and why it's cool?
0: we're we're unique in the marketplace uh, because we're a team and we're also a brokerage. And so what that means is we're more collaborative, more sharing. We have a weekly, Rise and Grind meeting where we share best practices and when you take the collective experiences and knowledge of people from all different angles and put it together you end up stronger and better together and so, you so made
1: more collaborative like in in a lot of brokerages you end up sitting next to your competition correct and in and in the team environment you're working on one team and so you're a team brokerage correct so everybody that comes to work for the brokerage is is on the team automatically. Yes. That's right. Help tell me about the team right now. How big is it? What do we need to yeah, do? We have
0: 18 residential agents and okay. a couple of commercial brokers, a new homes, a new homes agent, and then five staff that would that covers everything from marketing to transactions to ISA work. And then of course, Brad and myself are both very active leaders, hands-on, you know, leading the ship. We That's don't right. sit in a fancy office somewhere. Separate. From <laughs>
1: that.
0: In fact, our office is a co-working space. We don't even have an owner's office.
1: Oh, okay. So you're, so you have 18 agents doing buyers and sellers. Are they, are they both a uh, buyer and seller? Or do they focus on buyer only? Well, how do you, how do your, your agents work?
2: Yeah, we believe that specializing helps the consumer experience. So we try to coach up our agents to be a specialist in one area or the other, buy side or selling side.
1: Oh, interesting. And how does that play out? How how do you illustrate that that works well?
2: Yeah, well, everybody knows that the buy side and the sell side are opposed to each other. And what one wants is the opposite from the other. So really um, it plays out like if we've got a listing and a lot of brokerages or teams, if you have a listing you end up on both sides of the transaction if a buyer comes so in our situation we would assign a buyer specialist to work on that side of the transaction so there's no dual agency ever in our brokerage and and it's hard for a brokerage level to hold that line right but at a team level we can because we designate someone to represent them if it comes to that so not only is uh that the dual sided situation solved but also all other you know consumers who need just that one side buying or selling they get a true specialist who understands that market those needs and is really available at the right times because the times that a buyer is shopping for homes is different than the times a seller is and oftentimes the seller's having to negotiate offers coming in while the buyer is out looking at homes and if you're the agent trying to do both you're either in the car on the phone or in front of a consumer and negotiating you're trying to you know wear too many hats at the same time that's really
1: interesting for sure you get the you know you you get a traditional environment where you get you might have a you you interview the team lead and then you have somebody who's not the team lead at, or or you have you can't get a hold of your person because they're off doing the other thing exactly right that's fascinating okay and that is that is that unique i mean i haven't really looked at that in that is that is that yeah, there
2: are some other teams that do it that way but not as many as you'd think yeah so we're, we're pretty unique in that we we really develop specialists
1: that's great and and so you have 18 active agents which is pretty big for a team but but small for a brokerage how does that work as a business
0: well we have the highest per agent production in the entire county and a pretty successful rate of recruiting and retention we have people that have been with us for 18 years as agents who love they love the team model because it's it's pretty much a consistent experience and they like the values and the brand we've built and their clients like it and we have a a a pretty strong following of repeat business as well
1: that's great yes the brand the path and post brand you you work very well i'm interested in in Learning more about the brand philosophy, but but first, tell me about. So you're at 18 plus the the rest of the team.
2: Where do you see the future
1: for the for the company? Are you are you adding a lot?
2: Yeah, we we need to add agents right now. We have opportunities <laughs> that are hitting the ground, and that kills us as leaders. <laughs> like, uh-huh. you know, we have opportunities that we know we can serve. We can meet the market demand is is bigger than we can fulfill right now. So we are actively um, recruiting, hiring, interviewing right now. So that is something we're focusing on. Is it as difficult to
1: hire in the, the real estate world as it is everywhere else in the country right now? I
2: would say yes for the right person. Right. So it's easy to get a license. Right. It, it's, it's hard to find the true professionals that share the same values. So we're a little pickier than most brokerages, which, you know, they really just need more bodies and, and we need the right people.
1: Uh-huh. and and what's the right people look like
2: well you asked what was top of mind and this has been a common conversation recently is a, the difference between a professional and an amateur so we believe that the average agent in the industry is just an amateur they're they're doing it part time as a hobby they are not truly professionals at it it's not a full time thing they're not trying to improve skills <laughs> they're just you know hoping they network their way into some commission like let's be honest that seems like a lot of the amateurs we come across. So, our ideal agent is, is looking to become a professional if they're not already. And, and they, they need and desire the training and accountability that comes with being a professional. So, that's something that's definitely top of mind. They have to share our core values. We're a values based business. So, every decision we make filters through those values. So, that's, you know, you got to be a, the right human. And, you know, they don't always fit that. Sometimes it's just, you know, you're not going to work out whether you're a professional or not.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, Two so- questions. What what one? Tell me about do you do you have the opportunity to hire and train like real um, early agents? Is that part of your, or do you end up hi, uh, hiring people with more experience?
2: Both. Um, we'll take either or if it's the right person that fits our values and and is going to be a true pro. So you know, recently we've we've hired a couple of new ones this year that have ramped from zero experience zero into you know. 15, 18 transactions in their first year. Wow, which is multiple times the average agent in the industry. So we know we can take a beginner from zero to, to 60 at a at a quick rate. And you know, we also get those season agents who you know they've either got tired of running through their SOI and the friends and family network, or you know, they're burnout of spending all their time, money, and resources marketing and trying to prospect for the next thing, and they want something that's got a proven. know opportunity flow through the system and and that's what we've built here at path and post like i think tom ferry you know someone breaks the industry down as real estate is just prospecting and nurturing and and i believe that to be true you've got to really care about humans and relationships and nurture that relationship and find out what's best for them and what matters most to the buyer or seller before you can add value in their life and if you're good at that then you just need to go and prospect and find those opportunities but it's hard to do both, right? You're either prospecting or nurturing or you one or the other. But we've taken the prospecting off the table for the, our agents.
1: Got it. So I love that framework prospecting and nurturing. I mean, in in many ways, it's such as life, right? And so, so, but but really, that's what you've done so well and is and a lot of your embrace of technology and things like that. So so talk to me about that prospecting. What do you do to reach new consumers?
2: Yeah, I mean, Customer acquisition is, is all <laughs> we used to focus on is how do you grow the brand? How do you grow opportunities? So real estate, there's a lot of channels. Like you can partner with the Zillow's, you can partner with the realtor.com's, you can, you know, pay-per-clicks and social media ads, you, you can network. So we've uh, decided to do all of it <laughs> in, a, in a diversified manner so that we don't have all our eggs in one basket. We are a a Zillow flex team. So we are in a partnership with Zillow as premier agents, but we are also investing in realtor.com leads and our own generated, you know, pay-per-click leads, social leads, and that we can track on that is, is, are we growing our brand, delivering a five-star experience? you mentioned the reviews in the intro. So when we get that word of mouth, we get that organic search in the local market by having our signs out. So that's been really good to see grow. You know, we've, we've got about 40% of our business is either repeat or referral at this point, which is a healthy size book of business for a brand that's, you know, we're doing almost 400 transactions this year.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. That's really neat. So I love that it's, it's all of the things.
2: It's all, yeah. The
1: embrace of all of the things. Is there anything that, that uh, works particularly well or changed during the pandemic Hmm. that, that surprised you?
0: we we actually had our best year ever in the first year of the pandemic and then this year we're going to beat that by our our gross volume is 50% greater so we went from a 100 to 150 million this year and We found that the things that we were doing before the pandemic with our, we call it our pathfinders, which are our clients that we've closed with and we love on them. And they send us referrals and interact with us on social media. We found that we had to do things differently. So we introduced last year, a new event. It was dinner on us. Just order your pizza and either beer or soft drinks and do a drive-through. And we brought it out to their car. And. We have people send us written thank you notes who were just so grateful for a meal out. And some of them were in their 70s or 80s and hadn't been out to eat the whole year because of the pandemic. It was such a big hit. We repeated it this year, even though we were in a lull with the pandemic, and we added game night for the team to that. And after we served our clients, we all enjoyed dinner and game night together. And everybody loves it so much. We're going to make it a regularly occurring event.
1: I love it. That's amazing. Uh, I think there's a real gem in there that I heard in that. So you're obviously strong with your branding, Path and & Post. And it's that must help things like referral, you know, as opposed to just like, oh, what was my realtor's name? And, you know, but but Path & Post is a, is a real strong brand. I love that you Labeled your clients, Pathfinders. Uh, I love the act of naming anything that we want people to pay attention to. And in the technology business, is naming the technology that you have. It's naming the architecture. It's naming the the market that you're creating. Naming your customers or your teams. Do you have? Do you have? Is your team the the employees in the team? Do they have names? Is there a special name? No, for our team agents. Yeah
2: they're just real estate specialists they're just
1: specialists so yeah. at, at alto's they're the altoids
2: ah right. perfect.
0: Oh. So, <laughs> i like it
2: we, um, we do have a monthly trailblazer among the team that gets recognized that's
1: great but calling your 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 clients the pathfinders is is terrific and it really i think is is goes is one of the elements that goes into doing things like remembering to serve them properly yeah. and you know, it like that's really neat. Is that was that original thought or did that happen along the way? How did that when did that come up?
2: Yeah, we've been doing that for years. It's definitely original, organic, can came to like, you know, what would you naturally be at the completion of a journey of a path? Like you'd be the pathfinder, right? So yeah. Everything we've done is, you know, from the closing gift that we give everyone is, is a curated experience and into, you know, you're invited to a private Facebook group once you're a Pathfinder. So you can be in the community, you know, post closing and follow up, you get special invites to events. I mean, we have you know special benefits like Braves tickets that we give away throughout the year to Pathfinders and such. But so it's a nice treat to be a Pathfinder.
1: Yeah, that's neat. I love the private Facebook group idea. Tell uh, me, let's talk one more question about Path and Post. And well, let's talk about all kinds of things, market and stuff. But tell me about your values.
0: Our it's, values are spell the word rug. rug. Respect, yes. Respect unity and the golden rule. And then we add a plus to that. So respect of course is obvious. And unity means that we're, we're all working together towards the common goal. We're not uniform. You know, we allow some individuality amongst our team members. And then the golden rule plus is more of a pay it forward version of the golden rule. So we we wanna do unto others as we should not to necessarily extract something back from them. So we give before we receive.
1: I love that. And that, a-
0: rug, that rug is kind of the foundation of a room or a house, of mm-hmm. course. And we use that pay it forward. We're in the midst right now of our Giving Tuesday uh, program where we select a cause that matters most to us for this season. And we're, we're paying it forward with servers in the community. So we'll give everybody a hundred dollars to go out and pay extra tips on top of what we consider a basic tip of 20% to thank our servers for what they do serving our community. And that's part of that pay it forward. So we, and we don't have those values on a poster anywhere in the office. They actually reside within us. And they should be exuded in the kind of work we do and how we treat other people.
1: I love it. Rug, it's a, what's the big Lebowski? It really brings the room together. It really, it really held the room together.
0: Here, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love that
1: rug, man. Terrific. Okay. So it's now the end of the year. We'll probably have this episode on maybe like the first week of January or something like that. Record low inventory. Demand is super high. Some of the national stuff we're seeing, demand seems like it's ex- accelerating over the holidays what are you seeing in atlanta right now in your markets and what are you telling buyers and sellers
2: yeah we we tend to follow the national trend line because i've been following your authors uh, updates (laughs) throughout the year and we share a lot to the teams like almost what you say nationally can apply to atlanta i I think we're a, a pretty good benchmark it's tight inventory demand is high we're still in multiple offers it's a little bit seasonality right now which I think is a good thing, you know. So you may not get twenty or maybe you know, ten or so, maybe three to ten, right? It's just yeah. less, which is good. But that's just the seasonality of it. But the, the problem is you still have less inventory, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
2: we I, we track local MLS data. And, and we saw a little bit of an increase of new listings, but the new pendings were like four times that rate. So we do have some coming, they just get eaten up so fast.
1: They're just getting eaten up so fast. Yeah, and, and it's funny, the total transaction volume isn't down, but they just get eaten up so fast that they are like, there's nothing on the market if you look around. So, okay, so now you get a new buyer lead, lands in your inbox. Hey, I'm a first time home buyer what do you tell them like they're like should i buy now should i wait is it i'm afraid what am i gonna do
2: what do you tell them we've gotten really good at asking questions and letting them because we found like if we tell them what you know to be true in the market like it prices are only going to go up it's only going to cost you more if you wait like if we say that it sounds like a sales pitch right they're <laughs> like yeah sure you want me to buy now right right right. So we found that if we just ask the right questions, they can determine it themselves. So it's simple. A couple of questions we asked, like, do you think mortgage rates are going to go up or down in the future? And the buyer typically is like, well, they're pretty low right now, kind of historically low. They know that they've been following. They're like, yeah, probably go up long term. So, okay. If that's true, you think it'll cost more or less in the future for the same payment? And they're like, yeah, okay. I I get it. And like, do you think homes are going to go up or down? And that's the one that people will pause on, right? There are some buyers who are like, well, this is gonna crash. Yep. And, it, and for no reason, they think that, right? <laughs> they, they don't, they can't even, but if you ask, so why do you think that? And then you can start picking at what really is driving their thought patterns. Like something like, well, it was overinflated in 08 and 09 and we saw what happened. And I'll just wait until that happens again. And then if you have okay, what caused it then? <laughs> yeah. So they start, it's like, oh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> or, or how long you're willing to wait.
2: Right, exactly. So it, it just asking the right questions and then they kind of become self-educated mm-hmm. and they you know, do their own deductive reasoning. And then at that point, you can insert some real market data from Altos to show like, here's you know, the trend lines and here's what experts think. And you don't have to Google too many to find, you know, predicted increase in values. (laughs) Yeah,
1: That's interesting. So, so then they are okay. They're like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm going to jump in this market. Yeah. How do I prepare? What do I do for this year?
2: Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you've got to have the right guide to ensure that you win in this kind of market. And we get that the true story happened last week. We had a consumer switch from an agent that they had found on their own. It was also their like gym coach instructor with a part-time real estate license, you know, fits the average amateur agent description (laughs) and had been looking at homes and making offers made like 10 or 12 offers and didn't win a single one of them. Okay. And then they called up that I need to buy a house. (laughs) Can you help me win? And literally, we went and showed two homes, made two offers, won both, and they got to choose which one to move forward with. Wow. So that is the difference between having an amateur agent and a professional agent is someone who knows how to structure an offer to win in a competitive environment.
1: That's really fascinating. You don't hear a lot of distinction on buyer's agents. Uh You hear like people are like, well, my agent didn't do anything at all. Why am I paying this commission? You're like, you hear those kinds of things.
2: Yes. But it happens now more than I think the industry realizes. I don't think it is being talked about enough that there are so many agents wasting buyer's times right now. It's sad. Yeah. And then the
0: same agents complain on social media about, I can't, I'll never recommend my buyer pay over list price. That's ridiculous. And I'm thinking, well, our prices are going up on a typical four hundred thousand dollar home by four thousand a month. So why would you not pay twelve thousand more to close in ninety days? Because you're paying, you're going to pay success. that. It's, it's going to be worth that in three months. And if you wait, you're going to pay that anyways on the next house, and the interest rates will go up at the same time.
1: That's if, fascinating. That's a what a what an interesting way to look at it. Like you're you're when you're overbidding you're really only you're only paying a few months out of change yes but you get
0: the
2: home you want for you know and at this time of year like maybe april's price if you bought it now yeah are you going to own it past april you'll probably okay like sure it feels like you're overpaying today but you know come november next year you'll be fine
1: you'll be fine yeah exactly
0: we have a a lot of strategies like that and we that's what we coach and train on is how to get out there and not just be the professional, but to give the level of guidance that that is a strategic advisor level to help them, to help them win. And, and not just on the price, we actually can help people win sometimes with a contingency to sell another house just by how we craft the offer. So it's not just price because that would not take a lot of strategy, but it's a lot. We've got like 15 different, strategies and stipulations that we use to help our clients win.
1: That's amazing. I can understand how you would help a brand new agent with that kind of framework. They're not just landing at a desk somewhere. That's, that's super, super neat. Okay. So then tell me, Becky, what are you telling to the sellers right now?
0: We're telling the sellers they're going to get the optimal equity out of their home right now. And we're going to be able to use some of those same strategies to protect them on the selling side with occupancy after closing. We're frequently getting a month or two after closing rent free to stay in the home so they can have an easier, smooth transition to the next home. Mm-hmm. And we're also vetting those offers really thoroughly to make sure that they're rock solid so we don't have a lot of terminations you know, during the process. But our sellers are, you know, we're hitting some of the top numbers in communities that have been like exceeding them in our market. 400 is a a good price in 800 in an area that's never sold for more than 700, like 700, like in the past two weeks. So we're still exceeding current market values and showing sellers that kind of data and showing them the trend lines. They're, they're eager to jump in and cash out.
2: Yeah. yeah did you Even more important than the like sales price because we all know it's like all time sales prices are being said though it's educating them on the net to seller and and how that compares uh in a multiple offer scenario because you know there are a lot of other terms in an offer that could impact the net if there's any closing costs being contributed if there's any repairs being factored in or an uh instant offer i buyer situation what are the fees that, that may come with that so focusing on that net, the seller, and figuring out what matters most to the seller, we can really optimize different strategies and counters and stipulations to make sure they get the best net.
1: That's, that's great. And that actually is a great segue to the next thing that I'm thinking about, which is, you know, let's talk about Atlanta in general and, you know, what's happening there? What, what do you think about it long-term? And, and I'm interested in like the iBuyers. How is that impacting your market?
2: I feel like under Atlanta was undervalued for years, decades, maybe nationally. And I feel like the pandemic allowed people to look around the country and say, yeah, Atlanta is a really great place to live and a low cost of living. So I, I think that's been like the, the secret's out a little bit in Atlanta and I mean, it may not be like the buzzy crazy as Austin, but like Atlanta is here to stay as a growth community city for the next 50 years. Uh, I think we've seen just like an elevated step up to a new base level for Atlanta.
1: It, it moved somewhere in the last 15, 20 years from like B city to A class
2: city in the US. It is, you can get anywhere in the world from our airport. And we have world-class businesses here, job opportunities here. And the city really has no growth boundaries, <laughs> geographically anyway. <laughs> so. Like we have the ability to get large and I, I think we're in for a long run of that.
1: Growth. That's fascinating. Are your buyers out of state? Or do you have a lot of out of state folks or what's that look like?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of out of state. We get a lot of the West Coast and a lot of the Northeast moving down to the South for that cost of living and still great quality of life.
1: And do you specifically market to those cars? Like, do you have geographic stuff going in California or New York?
2: No, we don't do outbound to those markets. But what we found is just when we're buying local leads or partnering at the zip code level, they're coming in searching our level. So we naturally pick those up. And we've also picked them up you know, when they find an area like they want to live in Woodstock or Marietta, some North Atlanta city. We're like top Google search too, thanks to our reviews and you the longevity we've had of succeeding for clients. That's great. Yeah, that's
1: straight up Google reviews for that. that
2: it works. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's amazing. So what do you tell a guy from coming from San Francisco, says, Hey, what I'm interested in, Atlanta, I'm a little bit worried about too many Republicans. <laughs> Where do I go? So
2: the demographics are in your favor. <laughs> okay. The largest demographic shifts, I think, in the country politically. Uh, so uh, I does think that feel real? Is that palpable? It's real. It's palpable. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah You can feel it, especially in the northern suburbs of Atlanta where we operate. That shift is real. It went, went from very red to very purple real quick <laughs> and, and definitely leaning blue. Yeah. <laughs> in some areas for sure.
1: That's great. That's really fascinating. Becky, what do you think about the next 10, 20 years for the area and for, for like home buying and owning in particular? Well, with
0: Atlanta's uh, top for business in, this, in the country, we're we're ranked number one for uh, business in the country and a really diverse economy, including filmmaking. We're taking that away from Hollywood. We also have a lot of biotech, technology, manufacturing. It's just a really good diverse economy. And I think that our cost of living is so low that we're gonna stay an attractive hub. For people like Brad said, you can fly anywhere in the world from, from the busiest airport in the world. Plus, we have access to mountains and beaches and and a lot of different kinds of topography. So we have people that like to live in a live-work play or out in the country on a few acres. I think that's going to be sustainable for the next 10 to 20 years. I think the biggest thing is we've seen more change. I think Brad and I, with our combined 50 years of experience, have seen more change in the past 24 months than we've ever seen in our 50 combined years in real estate. So to try to project out how that technology or cultures could change the market, we have no idea. But as leaders, our job is to stay in front of that, abreast of it. We both are very avid listeners to podcasts. Uh, Where We read, we're consuming everything we can, including your videos to make sure that we're staying on top of things. And so that we can lead that ship and we can gain market share and help our clients win. And if we help our clients win, our team members win. And if they win, we all win.
1: That's terrific. So big changes in the last 24 months, were there some that were particularly shocking or surprising to you?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the iBuyer movement's been phenomenally interesting to experience here in Atlanta. We're almost like a ground zero of like us in Phoenix, uh, you know, nationally, where they come and test their ideas, <laughs> these big companies, like, you know, the open doors and the Zillow's and we have them all here, OfferPad, they're all here in Atlanta testing their ideas. And, you know, we went from no I buyers to all here, like overnight, it seemed like, and then going through the pandemic, they all kind of pulled back. So it all went away. <laughs> and then they all came back surging over the last, you know, 12 months. And then recently with what Zillow's done with pulling Zillow offers out of the market. So we've seen a lot of stop, stars influx. And that's been a huge adjustment at the consumer level. It's confusing to them. Like, what is this? And where did it go? And can I get it back? And now is it dead? And so you're like, you have to explain it all. That was kind of a new concept to begin with. So, you know, we have to not only keep our agents abreast of, you know, what's available and what's coming, but the consumer level education has been a real effort. And that that's been pretty drastic over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, that's really the iBuyers in particular being was, I think about it as a a financial innovation. The whole industry was looking for a technology innovation and and opendoor came along with infinitely cheap money and said, let's just buy the houses. And and so it's a financial and so. And not just the, the I buyers per se, but a whole, this whole sub industry of financial products around buying and leasebacks and all of these kinds of things. Are there uh, any of those that you're working with that are interesting, that are working well, that that you like find your clients using over and over again?
2: Yeah, the power buyer stuff instead of the iBuyer that you're talking about where they come in and... Uh make cash a,
1: offers or whatever the, yeah, some of those convert a loan
2: to cash. Yeah. Yeah. We've partnered with a couple of different them, not to name brands. What we found is that sometimes our stipulations and strategies can beat that. So by the time they add their fee in of like, you call it one or 2% on the money so they can make, you know, money on their cash. If we say, look, let's take that amount. If you're willing to pay it anyway at closing to this other company, what if we used it in the way we structured the offer? And that opens up like now I've got an extra 1% to 2% to play with as a strategist in the equation. Do I put it in as option money? Do I put it in as you know additional purchase price? Like there's ways to play with it or both. And, and we found that we can actually win in a competitive thing without some of that power that's
1: fascinating to hear mm-hmm. uh and yeah and all and and often one of the challenges of innovating in the space is you you got to have your fees and all of a sudden uh, it's not that good a deal
2: anymore right
1: oh that's so interesting I, I
2: think in the hands of the right professional strategist they can use that to their advantage like you know why don't we just skip hang a fee go ahead and write the check to the seller we'll skip from 20th in line to number one and then we'll negotiate.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's really fascinating because, because the, the iBuyers and that whole sub industry is such a force of change in the last few years. And it's, and it's uh curious to see where, how much market share they can take. How much do you think they can take?
2: Yeah. I would be comfortable saying anywhere from five to 15. You percent, know, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it goes any higher than that. I, heck, I could be completely wrong. But yeah. And there's, I think there's going to be a segment of those. And I think it eats away at some of the for sale by owners. And it definitely eats away at a lot of the, we buy ugly houses stuff, you know, and you know, the guaranteed cash offer stuff that was, you know, a little bit of a gimmick for a while from brokers and stuff. So I, I think it takes a little bit of all of that and, and grows a little bit of a pie. And there are some though, I mean, we've, even created our own iBuyer program. We purchased a home as path and post the brokerage for someone who wanted an instant offer. And it was unique because if you go too far north of Atlanta, you get out of their buy box, right? So these national companies said, we can't make you an offer. Well, this seller really needed to move. They had a really good, compelling reason that they couldn't list. They couldn't go to market. they, They needed a cash offer. Becky and I looked at each other and said, you know, we could do this and help them out. And so we bought a home. Wow. And we were the eye buyer. So it doesn't have to be a national company. You just have to have to have the resources and willingness to do it.
1: That's amazing. That's
2: fascinating.
1: Yeah, you know, in an era of infinitely cheap money, it's infinitely it's cheap for you too. <laughs>
2: right, Like, yeah. Huh. What they've done is not hard. I mean, it's hard to scale, but it's not hard to execute. <laughs> one yeah.
1: If you just need to do it for, for one or two, two clients here to make the deal done. That's really neat. That's I see this is why I I want to have this kind of conversation, right? Like that is really insightful. Did you guys get any impact Becky from the, from Zillow's change? Did you notice anything?
0: We didn't notice really any change on the ground from that. And we, we still have the Zillow flex partnership uh, that, that, that we do. I don't think, have you seen anything Brad from it? As far as impacting us, because
2: no, I think really the only impact from Zillow offers pulling out was what does that mean? The agent industry turned around and asked, like, what does that mean?
0: Yeah,
2: right. (laughs) Consumers, I don't think notice. You know, agents were like, wait, wait, what? What does that really mean? Yeah,
1: Yeah, there was a lot of fear, like, what does Zillow know? Is it you know, are they getting out before a crash? But nothing. You didn't notice any dynamic different. You weren't competing with them every day, and all of a sudden, not competing with them.
2: No, we were actually partnering with them often. They were buying some homes that we were helping. Uh, It wasn't, a a lot of people, I think agents think it's either us or an iBuyer and it can be both. So we've actually got paid on iBuyer transactions, even though we didn't bring the buyer.
1: (laughs) Ah, Interesting. You're the, you're the, you're the, you're the broker on that side.
2: The broker. Exactly. That's
1: interesting. All right, Becky. Okay. So. Big changes, big changes in Atlanta, big changes in the market. Tell me about your vision for like the team, like where does the, where does the world go and, and, you know, and where the, what's it look like for us in the next few years?
0: I think we're bullish on 2022. We think it's gonna, it's already, we've, we've got a lot of pendings teed up for the first part of the year and we're seeing phenomenal buyer activity on our website and strong two-way communications, which we also, so I believe that 2022 is going to be another great year. I do think that it'll, it'll take some additional finesse to navigate rising interest rates, rates and inflationary pressures, especially on the new home construction, because we're seeing those prices going up substantially and they're not able to keep up with the demand. So, that's going to push those buyers out further that it may end up helping our resale market in the, you know, shorter term, buyers will say, I don't want to wait 15 to 18 months to be able to close. I think I'm going to go for a resale.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, there's a ton of new construction starts, but they're not finishing very quickly. Right. And so your buyers are looking at 15 to 18 months before they can actually get into that house. Is that right?
0: Yeah. In a lot of cases that you know, you get on a waiting list now to be able to have the opportunity to write your offer next April. So yeah. you're five months out from the opportunity to write the offer with no guaranteed pricing in place. And then from that point, it is usually going to take nine to 12 months to complete because there's so many supply chain issues with windows and appliances and even labor. I mean, they're short of, of labor in, in our area.
1: Oh, for sure. They're short of labor. short of labor everywhere. I just redid a kitchen in my uh, my my mountain house, and you know, they my friend said, "Oh, that your counter is terrific. Where did you get that idea?" I was like, "That's the one that was in stock."
2: You
1: know, like, <laughs> you know, that's what I got. <laughs> exactly. uh, so, does that does that new homebuyer experience feel different than it did a year ago? What, or is it getting tougher, uh, longer, or is it is it the same?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely getting longer, tougher. It it depends. Timing is the biggest problem. You know, do it. Does someone have to sell to buy and how do we time that? And when you've got new home construction thrown in the mix where you don't know the timing, (laughs) it becomes really complicated. Yeah. That's the biggest, it's really like a puzzle It depends on, you know, what are the, the consumer's capabilities? Can they buy without selling? Or do they need to sell first? And if so, what's their timeline? What's the motivation driving that? And, and that'll drive them whether they can consider new construction or not.
1: And if, I'm, if, I've, if I've got an existing house somewhere in suburban Atlanta, I want to buy a brand new construction. When I buy, do I, like, and it's 15 months before that, that place is completed. Oh mm-hmm. Do I am, I, am I like putting everything down and getting that transaction done now? Like, do I have to, is it, is it pretty common All that I have to is, sell my
2: house? The Beggie's my lot of is a, a lot deposit. So you're, you're putting a small deposit down on a future lot that has yet to be released for purchase. So it's like yeah. in the next phase. Once we get that developed, you can buy one of those lots. So it's a lot deposit, which is a small commitment now. And, and even sometimes those are refundable. Sometimes they're not it just depends on the neighborhood. So you're kind of like half committing now on a future order. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so that makes it a little easier. I don't have to sell my house to pay that down.
2: Right. But it stops you from like, maybe I found something better and then do I lose my deposit? So Uh, do you want to stop shopping is really the question.
1: The, 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 so how much of that new construction is, is that pushing further out? Like, is it getting further and further ex-urban or is there, is there infill stuff happening?
2: Yeah, there's some mental stuff happening, but Atlanta has notoriously been a drive until you qualify market.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and does that change in a post-pandemic world?
2: No, we're starting to see it in some of the outer counties that they can't keep up with the permitting and development side, where they need to put some new lots on the ground for the development. Actually, in our, in our home county that we're headquarters in, They have a moratorium right now on new construction. You know how much we need new construction in this country. And we have local municipalities saying no more new developments.
1: We're we're just so far behind.
2: Just dead stop. We just can't get them all through the hearing process and permitting process. Inspections,
1: all of the things.
2: Right. Wow. And what county is that? That is Cherokee County, which is, uh, you know, a couple North of Fulton County where Atlanta is where Atlanta is.
0: And even if it's just for 60 or 90 days, you know, it may very well be a short term, it's going to cause another hiccup by the time we hit spring, when people want to move and there's just nothing coming out of the ground.
2: Yeah, Yeah. the counties are overwhelmed and they've got infrastructure to maintain. Do they need to adjust impact fees, all of that. So they just stop everything. I wish there was like a slide instead of an (laughs) on-off (laughs) title.
1: Wow, man. Everything's backed up. Everything everywhere in the world is backed (laughs) up. That is incredible. Let's, this has been terrific. Before we wrap up today, is there anything that you're working on at Path & Post that you want us to be aware of? Anything that you're excited about for the coming year?
2: I'll just circle back to like the consumer should demand a true professional guide, not just an average agent. If, if the consumer can get to that level. And if you're as an agent listening and watching this, if you're not a professional guy and you don't feel like it, then work as hard as you can to become one. Because I truly believe long-term there'll be less agents and those who are left will become more professional and have more of the pie.
1: You think there will be fewer agents in the future?
2: Yes. I do. I think I think options, whether it be iBuyer or or, or power buyers, so like the more options consumer have, the more expertise the agent needs to present them. And so you don't just trust my brother-in-law at the gym because does he really know all the options available to me? Is he really an expert on all of them? Can he really yeah. guide me effectively? So I, I think because the Options to the consumer are become, going to become greater and greater. You've seen all the innovation in the last few years. It's only going to expand. So, the desire for the consumer to have access to those is going to necessitate a better agent experience.
1: That's interesting. So, what's fascinating to me, that's like a, I love that as a prediction. It's something I always try to think about, but we haven't yet seen any decline in the number of agents. No, we have. It's uh, Becky, do you have thoughts on that?
0: I d- I do. I think the velocity of change is going to squeeze out those those agents that are doing one or two or three deals a year. There's just no way to stay abreast of the changes and adequately represent a client if you if you're not living it and breathing it on a daily basis all in, staying on top of things. And so, you know, I think that team brokerages like Path and Post are going to actually grow market share through it and it's going to start squeezing out some of the lower performers, part-timers, and we call them amateur agents. And I think that I think that our industry would be healthier and better if we had that happen. It's the business. It's too easy to put your license somewhere and really not do much with it. And I think it it actually drags everybody down in the industry.
1: That's interesting. So, it previously in previous years, you could be an amateur agent because the, the, the market isn't so nuts that, that you can provide pretty much the same level of service as a professional. But now, as things get more competitive, as timing happens, as all these crazy financing things come in, then, therefore, the ability for an amateur agent to provide professional service decreases. Right. And they, it's more and more risky to go with somebody who isn't a real professional in there. I can see that playing out. That's a that's a real interesting way. And have you noticed I, I don't notice know the the average transaction stats, but but, you know, watching the, the average number, there's a lot of people who keep their license in real estate who aren't doing transactions for other people. They keep they keep it for other reasons. Yes. And, uh, and, but so then the average number of transactions per agent is whatever, like four a year or something really low. Is that changing? Do you know, have you noticed?
2: Well, we did the numbers on our local MLS that we're in. It's like 2.7. 2.7 is the average. It's the average, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's pretty low. (laughs) And your brand
1: new agents are doing 12 to 14.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but that's that's got to be the standard expectation moving forward, right? You can't just get by on one or two because you're not even current in the market if you're only selling to two or three a year. Yeah. It's moving so fast.
1: That is interest. All right. Wow. There's so, such, so many things I get to learn about. It's exactly why we're doing these conversations is, is we get to take all the, the data and put some context around it. So thank you so much. Before um, we go, where can more people find out? We're going to find out about Path and Post and, uh, and you both in particular.
2: Well, we should be Googleable, so just Google PathPost. <laughs> we should be the first thing you find if we did it right. <laughs> if not, go to PathPost.com. I and mean, you Path can learn Post. everything okay. about us. Yeah,
1: that's terrific. Your your website is uh, really rich with local information, yeah. and uh, and a lot of resources for buyers. Do you find that that buyers, when you get new clients in the funnel, do they go? do they like recognize that your website is really good do they notice that
2: yeah we do because we get buyers who don't always originate on our site like they may have come from a zillow or a realtor.com or from some other site and we'll import them into our database and suggest our site as an alternative resource and then we see the adoption rate of that suggestion is really high uh-huh. so using our site so that confirms that yeah they do like it, whether they verbalize it or not we found that the behavior is more important anyway, what they're actually doing. And so we see the searches they're running, the properties viewed per month, the favorites per month. We see that real time.
1: Yeah, Yeah. do you notice they do things like they come in from some random internet lead and then they get to your site and now they go, oh, like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the longer drive time or I'm like starting to search further out or do I change those kinds of things once I'm really starting to learn?
2: Oh yeah, the behavior's fascinating to watch. <laughs> yeah, whether it's price point or geography or or both, like you see their search morph over time. Yeah, it's it's fascinating human behavior to watch. It's like a live laboratory.
0: That's really great. It's really great. We've had people actually register on our website and and say they they chose us because of the website. They actually watched every video. They yeah. looked at our blog post. They liked the way it worked, and they registered just to use us. And they said, "I want that path and post experience." And that's how you know you built it well. Yeah. And then you have to deliver it, of course. That's right.
1: That's- but it's really indicative of what you're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really clear. I got i um, I'm on a, a lead, somebody's, some broker's lead drip. The from some Zillow thing, and in the email that they send me, they've sent me like one a month, and it says things like, "Hi Heather, who is my Heather's my ex-wife," says hi Heather, <laughs> and it's and and it says, "and we have a cash offer for your house," and we ha- and you know it's this canned email, and it's you know there's a broker, but it's got Zillow branding, and it's got like some mortgage company branding, and it's it's like. Man, I, 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 you know, I, of course, you know, the leads. Yeah. Sure, this guy looks and goes, well, these internet leads are really lousy. Nobody ever reads response to my emails.
0: I think the first problem is we have to stop as an industry calling them leads and remember they're humans. There's a there's a person behind that name and email and phone number and they're just reaching out and saying, hey, I'd, I'd like a little help with real estate. And then what are we doing for them from that point forward?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a different name for them? Do you call them clients or something individual? They're not yet Pathfinders.
0: Buyers or clients. Buyers
1: or sellers, yeah. Buyers or sellers. Buyers
0: or sellers, potential clients, but yes.
1: And future Pathfinders. Future
0: Future Pathfinders,
1: Pathfinders, absolutely. (laughs) I love it. Guys, that's really, really terrific. I, I thank you so much for taking your time with us today. Anything else where they can find you two individually? twitter linkedin if
0: if they they can google us as well becky babcock and brad nix or path and post and and you'll definitely find us we love to have conversations across the country with other other folks and and share best practices because we're we're always learning something
2: yeah thanks for having us mike thanks Thanks. for sharing your knowledge every week i love following you too
1: (laughs) real pleasure thank you both all right everybody that's The top of mind podcast for this week. Thanks to you. Thank you for joining me. And we will see you all again very soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to top of mind. See you again next time. And be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.